Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. J.J. Jerez, Arif Dean here to break down some more Avalanche hockey for you. Arif, Nathan McKinnon again, the power play again, Alexander Georgiev again. And that's the podcast for you, folks. We're Thank out. you, guys. Talk thanks. to you next week. Thanks for hanging yep, out that's with it. us. Uh, no, no, but it, I say it in jest, but I mean, you look at that game yesterday, 4 nothing win in Washington, and... That was basically what's leading the way. I mean, Nathan McKinnon, the power play, and Alexander Georgiev really uh, still taking care of business and making sure the Avs still see victories throughout these injuries. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is when when Nathan McKinnon's not the one leading the charge, uh, Miko Rantanen steps up. And when Alexander Georgiev's not the one in net, Pavel Francouz goes to Carolina and makes 40 million saves or whatever the hell it was. Um, but yeah, ultimately, that's what it is. And and. When you're as deep a team as the Avalanche are and have been for a few years, and we have seen this before with the injuries piling on, you can get away with two or three players running the show, and we're seeing that once again. Like, how many times have we heard the story? Not the McKinnon-Georgiev power play story. We know we've heard that one a few times. But think the last three, four years. Since the 2019-20 season, when the Avalanche went from a team that fights for a wild card position to a team that's atop the central division fighting in you know among the top five or six of the entire NHL. So think in that stretch. How many times have we seen the Avalanche get one injury, then it's two, then it's three, then it's four? And then the question is, well, is it time to panic? And then that quickly shifts to, oh, they're winning a lot of games. And then that quickly shifts to, well, now they're getting healthy and they're winning even more games. And then that quickly shifts to a second round playoff exit. But, you know, like (laughs) you get the point. We've had this conversation before. And here we are in 2022 having the same conversation we had in 2019, 2020, 2021. Like it's, it's, it's wild how similar this is to years past. And it usually involves... If he's not the one injured, Nathan McKinnon doing crazy things when other people are injured. It feels a little different this year, though. Uh, I, I get I get absolutely what you're saying, but it feels like they have something figured out. Now, I, I, I know it's a little bit overreactionary. They've only won a handful of games. We're still very early in the season. But having all this practice of playing through injuries seems to have gotten them in a p- place where now they're comfortable in it. I mean, you know they don't want to be in it. We heard from Nathan McKinnon the other day even comment about how much he just wishes he had his teammates back rather than you know helping the morale of the team while winning through all this adversity he's like no we don't we don't want we don't want to hear any of that we just want our teammates back but I think there's something to it right I mean that they've done this for so long and so many years that it's like all right Nathan McKinnon put the weight on your shoulders and now he's used to it he's more comfortable with it I remember years past saying oh wow when the pressure's really on Nathan McKinnon grips his stick too tight and he shoots the puck six feet over the crossbar and that seems to be a dead conversation. I haven't heard myself say that in a long time, but um, you know, I, I think there's there's something to that. There's just comfort in this discomfort, if you will. Do we want to have the conversation of why Nathan McKinnon isn't gripping the stick too tight? I think I think we both know why. You know why, right? Because he got a cup. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> it's simply that. I was waiting for you to say it. Like that. That's all it is. Like Nathan McKinnon isn't as stressed this year because if this was a season ago when the avalanche had not won a stanley cup in his you know in his time yet as the injuries start to pile on 
rolling through Nathan McKinnon's head is, holy shit, we have no consistency. What are we going to do when the guys come back? Are we going to figure it out in time? What if the trade deadline comes and goes and we're still unhealthy and we don't have our guys and we get to the playoffs and then we finally <laughs> start to gel and we lose in the second round? Like that's the kind of shit that goes through Nathan McKinnon's head year in and year out. And now it's like, all right, we're good. I'm going to put up 26 points in 16 games. Miko Rayton is going to score 10 goals. Uh, Kel McCarr is about to break a 200-point record for defensemen. Our goalie's a 930. Our backup goalie's a 925. He beat Carolina twice. We're sitting here breezing through all these victories without even a second-line center. Alex Newhook hasn't scored in three years, and we're still fine, and we're winning games, and when everybody gets healthy, we're going to win even more games. Checkmate, we're going to repeat as cup champs. Like, it's so different. The conversations that that freak has in his head now are so different than they were a year ago. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But I, I guess I've been having the conversation in my own head about Nathan McKinnon. I mean, I, again, I know it's early in the season, but I mean, with what he's done and how much weight he's carried so far this year, he's only got five goals, but 21 assists to go with it. Do you think he's an early favorite for a heart trophy? Dare I say it? There's a there's quite a few of those right now. And the problem that I have with those conversations this early in the season is we're seeing it out of Nathan McKinnon, but the two guys doing a podcast in Boston are seeing it out of David Pasternak or even Patrice Bergeron or even Linus Olmark, who's been incredible. The guy in Pittsburgh has seen it out of Sidney Crosby, despite their losing streak. The guys in Edmonton, very obvious. That podcast you get the sucks. Which one? The, all the other ones? Of course, it's not <laughs> ours. <laughs> but like that's, that's the thing is that there are so many of these that start early in the season. Don't even get me started on all the many guys that could be heart favorites for the New Jersey Devils right now. Nico Hishier has been incredible this year. Um, so it's happening all around the league. Um, the difference between Nathan McKinnon and a lot of these stories is you often have flash-in-the-pan stories to start a season, but what usually happens by the time you get to March or April? The Connor McDavid's continue to stick out, the Nathan McKinnons and Nikita Kucherov's. You get the point. It's the same guys every year with a you know a, a newbie added to the list every once in a while. Uh, you know Austin Matthews. I forgot about him as well. He's usually in that conversation at the end. But a newbie like Shesterkin or or something like that, you know, makes his way into the final three or four in consideration at the end of the year. So the Hart Trophy thing is still too early. But I'll I'll go a I'll go a different way with your question. Is this the best version of Nathan McKinnon we've seen in the regular season? And I'm willing to argue that this is the best version of Nathan McKinnon we've seen in the regular season since that first year that he broke out right after the Matt Duchesne trade. Because in 2018-19, that was the year he had 99 points and you know got close to uh, got close to 100 in that last game. Then in 2019-20, he was a finalist for the Hart Trophy again. Uh, obviously, didn't win it in 20. 20 2021 even though it was only 2021 the shortened season uh he was kind of injured last year again kind of injured and you you've seen over the last two or three years since that first year that mckinnon burst onto the scene after the duchene trade that the regular season he doesn't really care about it as much anymore it's not about getting 100 points or 120 points it's about just getting to the playoffs being healthy but this year it kind of feels like nathan mckinnon is going to put up 100 points and it's the best regular season version of him we've seen in quite some time and he's doing it by not being selfish right i mean he's he's looking to pass more than i've ever seen in his career and i think honestly that's probably part of the avalanche's structure and, and a little bit of their philosophy especially on the power play they want the defense to suck in on him a little bit so that way it does open up passes cross ice to miko ranton and kale mccarr whoever's on the other side when they're focusing in on, on a guy like that so um yeah just him being able to find those teammates and kind of you know I don't want to say lackadaisically, but just a lot more loose 
uh, through the season might just be the best thing for his career. And, and again, I know uh, it's still very early, but with the amount of weight that he's pulling and he's willing this team to victories, he's not doing it alone. You know, we started the podcast on, on his co-stars, but I, I think what he's doing so far is speaking volumes. It, it just needs a little more national attention. Yeah, and I think that'll come with time. Look, you have to remember now that this is the first year in our time as a podcast and in our time as adults that the Avalanche have won the Stanley Cup. So what usually happens when a team wins the Stanley Cup? Think of Tampa Bay last year. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing great. Austin Matthews is going to score 60 goals. In fact, Austin Matthews scored 51 goals in 50 games, not at the start of the season, but in a stretch in the middle of the season. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche are bursting onto the scene, and Kale McCarr is putting up 80-something points. Here's Roman Yossi putting up 90-something points. Here's Carolina finally figuring it out. Here's the New York Rangers with this stud goalie. All these teams that are going to be the new hot piece of ass on the block. And then we get to March and April, and then every reporter, analyst, TV person, personality, no matter who it is, randomly goes, Oh, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are still good, and they're probably going to win it all. So that's where the Avalanche are now. We're talking about the New Jersey Devils. We're talking about the New York Islanders going on a bit of a run. The Boston Bruins having this crazy start. Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights figuring it out after a bad last season. And all these teams, and it's going to take a while before somebody goes, hey, have we checked in on the team in Denver yet? Oh, wait, their starting goalie's got a 930, and their second-line center is... They don't even know. We don't even know. Is it Rodriguez? Is it Comfer? Is it Newhook? Is it the the shadow of Darren Helm? Like, we don't even know who their second-line center is. But for some reason, they're winning all their games. And, oh, shit, Nathan McKinnon's got 80 points in 50 games. Like, what? where did this come from? So that's kind of where they are right now. That's why the national attention isn't happening yet is because, quite frankly, nobody wants to talk about the avalanche right now. They... Say it ain't so, I will not go saying their way through the entire playoffs talking about this team. Where now they're a little bit bored. Let's talk about the Devils, the Bruins, and the Golden Knights before we come back and realize the Avalanche are still a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it all all the more amazing what they're doing right now because, yeah, they, they are kind of playing with a bunch of uh, slapped-together players. And, and, you know, the fourth line is really just held together by duct tape right now, it feels like, and, and you know, depending on who comes and goes from the AHL. So... Um, yeah, I think it, you just got to really acknowledge what Nathan McKinnon has been able to do so far with this team. And again, I know he's not doing it alone, but he's doing a lot. And um, I, I've just been ultra impressed by yeah. everything. Let's, yeah, let's play a little game with the forward core. I'm going to put you on the spot this time instead of vice versa. Let's say by the time the playoffs come around, because, you know, there's some years where you just have that injury luck. Somebody goes down for four months in March or April and like, you're just screwed. You're not healthy in the playoffs. The Avalanche last year were obviously healthy in the playoffs, right? So let's say this year, by the time the playoffs begin, they're back to full health, like they were a season ago and even in 2021. Here is the game that I want to play. Of the 12 forwards that suited up last night, let's go through every single one. I'll ask you who they are. I got the lineup pulled up. And you tell me, are they going to be in the lineup the first game of the playoffs with a fully healthy lineup? Also taken into consideration, there's potential... Uh, trade deadline acquisitions to be had as well. So let's start with the top line. Lekkanen, McKinnon, Rantanen. Those are easy yeses. All right, yes, let's go yes, to line yes. two. Martin Kaut. No. Evan Rodriguez. Yes. Alex Newhook. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I would say yeah. I would, I would say, say yeah. maybe. Yeah, I would maybe. say maybe. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was healthy scratch for the first game of the last playoffs, was he not? How crazy for, is that to think? Yeah, for Obvi really the first half of the playoffs. 
Abe Kubel, Comfer, Burakovsky. That was your third line, I believe. All right, let's go to the third line. Logan O'Connor. Yep. JT Comfer. Yes. Andrew Cagliano. Absolutely. And there's a reason why that line has been incredible and pretty much the second line. All right, let's go to the fourth line. Anton Bleed. Doubtful. No. I'm just going to say no. Jason Megna. <laughs> no. Dryden Hunt. Doubtful. <laughs> yeah, that one I would say is probably doubtful as well. Because you have to remember, right now with a fully healthy lineup, no trade deadline acquisitions, you have a second line of, let's say, Rodriguez with Nachushkin and Landeskog. You have a third line of Comfer, O'Connor, and Newhook. You have a fourth line of Cogliano, Helm, and one of Bleed or Hunt or potentially Ben Myers. So that makes sense. But then you got to take into account trade deadline acquisitions. If the Avalanche, excuse me, brought in Sturm and Cogliano last year, who's to say they're not going to bring in one or two depth forwards for the third and fourth line again? If the Avalanche uh, went out and traded for a top six guy in Lekkonen, who's to say they're not going to do the same thing, obviously, this time shifting to the center position. So a lot of these guys are not going to be playing. I mean, look at the entire second line right now. Rodriguez, Kaut, and Newhook. Are any of these guys going to be second liners when the playoff begins? I'm going to say no, and that includes Newhook. It's going to be Nachushkin. It's going to be Landeskog. And it's going to be pick your litter of a big name be it Bo Horvat, be it the Ryan O'Reilly failure of an idea because they've won five straight, I think, since I said <laughs> that, uh, or or one of the many other centermen that the Avalanche can go out and get. Yeah, I mean, you look at the team right now, and they, they just feel like a, I don't want to say average, but just an everyday NHL team, right? And they're kind of having to rely on hard work and playing the right structures to win games rather than just relying on, on talent and uh, all the skill that they have. So once that skill does pop in and the hard work mentality is already in place, I think this team is really going to be a force to be reckoned with if that day ever comes. I mean, they could just as easily, yeah. once the, the injuries do resolve themselves, more injuries show their ugly face. So who knows? Exactly, yeah. That's something that they had last year and they had in 2021 that, you know, is is the luck of the draw. Like, it's not often that, like, put it this way— while the Avalanche were waiting for a lot of these guys to get healthy, we know Landeskog went out, you know, with that knee surgery that he elected to have. Uh, I believe Kadri missed the last seven or eight regular season games. McKinnon missed some time in November. Um, but they didn't have a March 27th Andre Burakovsky out for the season knee injury. They didn't have a uh, March 14th Devon Taves out for the season whatever injury. Uh, they had a Bowen Byram left to, you know, go deal with his issues with the concussion. It was a personal leave type of thing. And even that guy got back for the playoffs. So like it really did work well last year. They weathered that storm last year to the point where this team is smart enough to know. And obviously it's a luck of the draw thing. You can't plan that. If Burakovsky or not Burakovsky, Devon Taves, since he's still on the team, if Devon Taves stumbles into the boards on March 28th, a couple weeks before the playoffs begin, you're shit out of luck. You can't plan for that. But what this team can do is what they did last year, where Landeskog elected for this injury, the surgery, knowing he'll be back in time for the playoffs. Nazem Kadri missed the last seven or eight games of the regular season or whatever it was, knowing very well he probably could have played two or three of them, but fuck it. Let's just save it for the playoffs. Bo and Byram, we're going to save it for the playoffs. We're going to save it, save it, save it, save it. Everybody came back ready to rock and roll. And they won the cup. And it's kind of a dead horse, but you know th that's Joe Sackick's mo when he was a player, right? He was the classic "wake me up when the playoffs start." And with him at the helm and him at the front office, you know that's kind of a message that might trickle down a little bit. Like, hey, 
if you need extra time during the regular season to be healthy and make sure you're ready to go for the playoffs, that's fine. Just make sure you're ready to go for the playoffs because that's when we really earn our paychecks. That's when we really want to turn it on and make sure that we're uh, playing at, our, at full steam. So um, I think there's a little bit of sympathy, I guess, so to speak, within the organization for that manipulation of scheduling and uh, making sure everybody's healthy at the right time. Yeah, and that goes back to the thing I talked about with Nathan McKinnon of, you know what, who cares about the Art Ross trophies? Who cares about the Hart trophies? Uh, who's the guy that's been to three Stanley Cups in a row now that reminds you of that? It's Nikita Kucherov. Like, that's the same exact thing. If you go look at the standings right now for uh, leaders among the NHL in points, Kucherov's up there. But he doesn't give a shit. It's McDavid 34, Dreisaitl 30, Kucherov, Pasternak, Eric Carlson 28, Robertson and Crosby 27, McKinnon 26, Ranton in 25, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, something to keep in mind for that, by the way, off topic, is McKinnon and Ranton have played the least amount of games of that bunch. So they'll be catching up in the points. But for someone like Nikita Kucherov, it's not about, you know, playing 82 games and winning a Hart Trophy and winning an Art Ross and all that. It's not that you go out of your way to miss five or 10 games. But you're not chasing it when you're, you know, 10 games left in the regular season. Like, think of Nazem Kadri last year. I know he genuinely got hurt, but that's a guy that had 87 points in 71 games in a contract year. Knowing if he hits 100, that's a big fucking deal. And, you know, I can't say for sure he could have came back early or could have missed fewer games than he did. But the fact of the matter is, maybe that did come into his mind. And it was, you know what, let's just have the mindset of being ready for the playoffs. Let's go back to Kucherov again. When did Kucherov win the Art Ross Trophy and the Hart Trophy? Do you remember? No. It was in 2019 when he went up on stage at the NHL Awards show and was embarrassed to accept all these freaking awards because a month and a half or two months prior, the Tampa Bay Lightning were swept by the 8th seed Columbus Blue Jackets. And he just didn't want to be at this award show and mm -hmm. didn't care about it. So that's kind of the mentality that Joe Sackick used to have. That's the mentality that you see from the Avalanche. Yeah, and it's a functioning mentality, I think, and as long as it's proven to be uh, not the right one, I think it's fine for now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just a different era we're in, right? I mean, the shortest offseason ever, you got all these injuries to deal with and the cap situations, it just it just makes it uh, something you got to proceed with caution with. Um, let's take a quick break for our friends over at Superbook, guys. Of course, we know all about Superbook and we know all about sports wagering and it's abundant right now especially this time of year so make sure to check out our friends over at Superbook and their awesome offer of matching you dollar for dollar Superbook is bringing Vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands and now they'll match 100% of your first bet to up to $1,000 no matter if the bet wins or loses so deposit $1,000 into your Superbook account Make a $1,000 bet. Superbook will give you a free $1,000 to bet with as well. So you don't have to be at stadium to enjoy any sports this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, I know there's so many sports books out there and sports book apps, and they all offer like pretty pretty solid sign up bonuses. I don't know why you wouldn't want to take advantage of every single one of them if they're giving you free money, free chances to turn it into more money, right? Yep, and just in time for the World Cup to put a whole bunch of crazy money on soccer games and to, to put a hole in your pocket. I thought you were going to say yeah, um, that that too. Yes, <laughs> that's usually how it works. My least favorite thing about betting on soccer is the fact that it's a one in three chance because it's a win, a loss, or a draw. And God, that bothers me because I'm barely good at 
picking one of two chances. That's what's fantastic about the, uh, I guess it's a prop you can call it. It's called draw no bet, right? So if there is a tie, you push and you get your money back. That's but great. the odds are a lot less favorable, right? You kind of got to add that to parlays to really make it worth your worth your while. But um, that is an option in soccer. But yeah, that's kind of like buying down the uh, the puck line or not the puck line, but you know whatever whatever you want to call the puck line in, in other sports where you know if the Broncos are minus seven and a half favorites, you can buy some points and make them minus three and a half favorites, for example, with you know for lesser odds. Or one that I like to do a lot in uh, the NHL is you say that they're going to win it in regulation. Yeah, that gives right. you great odds. That sweetens your odds a bit. Um, we got a little bit into Georgiev. Of course, he played a fantastic game, getting his first shutout in an avalanche sweater. And that's the conversation I want to start with when we get into Georgiev here is, I don't know if you remember, but I remember it vividly when we were talking about Darcy Kemper last year and how we were waiting for him to really get comfortable with the avalanche and December passed and it was all the way into January. And I said, Arif, I'm not going to be fully sold on this guy. I understand he's playing well, but I'm not going to be fully on board until he gets a shutout. I think it was later that week he got a shutout yeah. and then fo- followed it up with Holy the second crap. one. Um, but here we are early on in the season. Alexander Georgiev already has his first shutout. I think that just speaks to how comfortable he has already gotten in an avalanche sweater. And, of course, in all irony, the guy at the other end was Darcy Kemper. So, indeed, indeed. Uh, the only guy that didn't get a shot on Georgiev in his 32-safe shutout, <laughs> I think. So um, just a great game, man. Like, Georgiev has been so how, – how do I explain? I think I said this the other day when I said this might be the best tandem the avalanche have had ever when you combine both goalies, not just starter – Obviously, obviously, Patrick Juan, the height of his powers was a lot better than Georgiev at the height of his powers right now. So far, we'll see. Um, not to say Georgiev is going to be crazy good, but we'll see. If, we'll see. If he wins you cups, he wins you cups. But David Abisher, Philip Sove, uh, who's the guy that's the assistant GM now? Craig Billington. Like, were any of them as good as Pavel Francouz is now? No. I mean, were any backups in that generation as good as Pavel Francouz is now? Obviously, the NHL has changed. Broder used to have a backup named Corey Schwab that would play like four minutes a season and Broder would play 81 and a half games. <laughs> like that's just the way the NHL used to be. So there's a reason why I said this tandem might be the best ever. And it's not because of Frankie, because that's the same guy they had a year ago. But it's because of Georgiev giving the avalanche something, this this feeling of confidence that I haven't felt in the guy between the pipes not with Darcy Kemper, not with Philip Grubauer, not with uh, uh, Semyon Varlamov, not with uh, Jose Theodore. I haven't felt that with anybody on this team since Patrick Waugh. Yeah, and you're not wrong. I mean, we've, we've broken down his game 100 times, and I think I'm really gl- glad that I broke down the, his game coming into the season the way I did because none of this is a surprise to me, right? I, I'm used to seeing already how good he is at reading the play and making sure he adjusts as far as depth in the crease right I mean we saw it a couple times yesterday he was challenging so hard and like maybe two feet out out of his crease making the save swallowing it up beautifully right just reading the play reacting perfectly that's something that we knew to expect that fire in his belly that's something we knew to expect the way he moves side to side that's something we were expecting and I I just I, I don't know I feel so comfortable with this guy in net like you're saying and I think it just is one of those instances where he just needed a chance right I mean he just kept getting overlooked and getting overlooked for I guess good reason because it's a pretty solid goalie over there in New York but sometimes a guy just needs an opportunity to string 
a, a solid amount of games together and to really prove what he's about. And I'm not saying he never proved what he was about in New York, but now he's establishing himself as, yeah, I'm here. Not only am I here, I'm really, really good. You might want to keep an eye on me for the rest of my career because I've got something to say. I've got a point to prove. Oh, la-di-da. It's a goldie conversation, and JJ knew ahead of time. He knew what he – I mean, I'm just kidding. You were Like, you were spot on. That's that's the, the, the cool part about it. My favorite thing about looking at Georgiev's stats and looking at what he's doing is it was even in the Avalanche's release, and if you go back in your email and you pull up that release from the Avalanche Communications the day they acquired Alexander Georgiev on July 7th, there was a sentence in that second or third graph that said something along the lines of, Georgiev was 15-10-2 this past season, including an 8-1 and run with two shutouts in his last nine starts to end the regular season. So he was 8-1 with two shutouts. He's now 8-2-1 with a shutout. The dude's on a 16-3-1 heater with three shutouts in his wow. last uh, 20 games. Do the math. Yes, 20 games. So 16 wins, four losses, one of them in overtime. Sounds a lot like what the Avalanche did in the playoffs last year, including <laughs> yeah. the one overtime loss, yeah. coincidentally. Um, but that's the crazy part is this is a guy that started to gain that confidence in January, February, March, however long it took him to play those nine games as a backup goalie. Uh, and then you add into the fact that he went into the offseason knowing very well that he wanted to get traded. By the way, I believe the... I want to say the Vegas Golden Knights inquired about him at the deadline, but didn't end up pulling the trigger. That would be crazy. Um, but yeah, he wanted to get traded. He did. And what has Georgiev had more than any other guy since the first day of training camp? Confidence. A lot of confidence and self-belief in knowing, I'm not arrogant, but I'm fine, guys. I got this. And the demeanor this dude has every time you talk to him, is just this kind, really, really well-spoken guy that wants to talk to you with no attitude, no dirty looks, no let's just get this over with. But it's more of let's just have a conversation about how I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I'm just telling you the truth because I'm 16-3-1 in my last 20 games. Like something about this guy is like this kind confidence that – when the game begins, it's how do you beat this guy? If he knows he's going to win, then he's got this. Like, it's a very strange, unique personality. It's hard to explain. And that's why I'm kind of stumbling over my words here a little bit after rattling off five straight, you know, shots of me talking about hockey just going on and on and on is, is because Georgiev is such a unique guy in that sense. And he's proving exactly what he said he was going to do in training camp. Only thing I can really add to that and trying to kind of help you out here but I think of his personality and I think of how internal he seems to me right like he I feel like the voice inside his head is so loud and is just constantly running and that's what really pushes him right that's why we'd say he holds himself to a high standard that's why we say he has a fire in his belly that's why he has his own confidence because that thing's always going and you can tell you ask him a question it take it, it's a couple seconds of him kind of like uh, how should I really approach this answer not so much yeah. like, oh, let me translate this in my head real fast. More like uh, I can answer this four or five different ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think you're right about your analysis of him. And he, he's a unique guy. He's a unique guy, but that's what you want in a goalie. And, and confidence is a great attribute. And fire in your belly is a great attribute. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I, I'm shocked, honestly, at how perfect he seems to fit in this net. 
Yeah, I mean, look, th think about it. The only reason why this guy wasn't the heir to the Enric Lundqvist throne is because you notice what I just did that the, the word heir has a silent H. So I said Enric Lundqvist and now <laughs> I'm thrown off the heir to the Henrik Lundqvist throne is that they had another goalie in Igor Shosturkin that showed up and became a Hart Trophy finalist and a Vezinist Trophy winner. Like that's the only reason why talk about goalie riches. First of all, to have Henrik Lundqvist at one point, his backup was anti Ranta. He was then traded to be a starter somewhere else. And then he got Georgiev and he's out there being a backup undrafted. Like, kudos to that scouting staff for going out and finding him, similar to what the Avalanche did with Frankie. And then suddenly you have Igor Shosturkin. Lundqvist moves on. Shosturkin becomes your starter, and now you can trade Georgiev. The only mind-boggling thing to me about the Georgiev trade is how different the, let's say, uh, the value of goaltending is on any given day. Because the Avalanche had to give up Connor Timmins and a first for Darcy Kemper because they were kind of stuck in a corner they were they were backed into a corner where he was the only goalie left on the market think of if the avalanche didn't get Kemper by the way he ended if he ended up going to Edmonton like who's your goalies last season who wins the Stanley Cup for you if if you even win the Stanley Cup without Kemper like let's not pretend Kemper wasn't a big part of it but then you also have the Semyon Varlamov trade once upon a time where the avalanche traded a first and a second which by the way do you know who the first round draft pick that the avalanche gave up for Varlamov ended up being Philip For or Victor Arvidsson. Philip Forsberg. No, 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 no. Yeah. Philip Forsberg. One of those Philip two. Forsberg drafted 11th overall by the Washington Capitals, who they then stupidly traded to Nashville for uh, Martin Erat. So that was a trade. Um, but what did the Avalanche give up for Philip Grubauer? It was a second round draft pick, and that was with taking on Brooks Orpik to buy out his contract to let the Capitals re-sign him. So even Philip Grubauer was more valuable than a second round draft pick, but the the value was reduced by taking on that Orpic deal and buying him out, doing the Capitals a favor. So, like, it's wild how different the value of a goaltending is depending on the market. And this goes back to what we said in the summer, which, by the way, the Avalanche traded a third, a third, and a fifth, if you don't remember, for Alexander Georgiev. But what did we say back in July when the Avalanche made the move? Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland wanted to get ahead of the game before it's too late again like it was last season where you have to overpay. And the move has proven dividends. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's any, much more we could say on Alexander Georgiev himself. But looking at the shutout, and you've heard me say this a million times, especially if you've been listening to my podcast for all nine years I've been doing it, which I doubt. But um, And definitely bless your heart if, if, if that's the case. But um, it takes the entire team to get a shutout, right? Not just the goalie. The, the defensive group in front of them has to play right. The forwards have to play a good defensive structure. So we know how many injuries are up and down this avalanche team, especially in the defensive group without Bowen Byram and Sam Girard. How did they look defensively? How how good are the avalanche really right now, considering they just got a shutout, they're still shorthanded, and, uh, but still winning games? I mean, what what does that say about the defensive unit right now? Well, for a little while, it was the goaltending weathering the storm because they got outshot 48-15 to in Carolina, and then they get to the game in Washington, and suddenly the shots are 14-3 before the two-man advantage late in the first period. And you're like, this is just going to be what it is every night <laughs> with you know Andreas Englund and Jacob McDonald playing a combined 25 or so minutes, like, and, and Eric Johnson being a top-four defenseman at this stage of his career. You're like, right. There, is, was, there was a moment of just acceptance. Like, all right. Yeah, this, just like, all right, it. this is just what's going to be. And the funny thing is, when the shots were 14-2, to two, 
the two avalanche shots, I don't remember if they both came on the power play or one of them did, but it was that first power play that they had where Miko Rantanen had a couple of chances. One hit the post. The other one was saved by Kemper. Just a nice save. And you're like, the shots are 14 to two or 14 to three. And Kemper has made two or three good saves. Like this is just what it's going to be. The avalanche are going to pick their, you know, their spots, counterattack, try to get a good opportunity, get a power play score on that. And the other team's going to shoot, 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 shoot. And you're just going to have to sit there and hope these two European goalies that you name Frank and George, of all names, uh, <laughs> can stand on their head like they have been this past week. So for a little while, it was that. And then the Avalanche started to settle down a little bit. I loved the quotes from Georgiev about, because um, the Avalanche, I believe it was 32 shots for the Capitals in total, but a bunch of them were in the first period, 14 of them, and and you know pretty early in the first period too. But I love the quote from Georgiev at the end of the game when he was talking to the avalanche reporters out there in Washington and, and he wasn't even asked about it according to uh, the avalanche reporters that were out there is he mentioned Alex Ovechkin, like kind of like, Oh, it was good to finally get one over him and get a shout out because Ovechkin has had my number. So Peter ball went out and looked at the figured it out and realized Georgiev has the worst safe percentage. He is the easiest goalie that Ovechkin has ever played. He has eight goals on Georgiev in 21 shots. That's a 65 0.65 something save percentage. So Georgiev com- completely came out of nowhere and like without even being asked, just started saying stuff about, you know, how it was good to have one over Alex Ovechkin and to not let in a goal and to get in a shutout, which again goes back to that conversation he has in his head. He went into Washington thinking, this guy's chasing the NHL's goals record. He's got a shitload of them on me. I need to stop him today. And he did. And you look at the last four games, right? Three, three wins, one loss. And all four of those games have hit the under. I know I'm just a, a betting psycho who looks too much into betting, and you know, admittedly so. But I think there's something to be said when you look in the defensive style of the team and the goaltending right now, again, with all of the injuries, that four games in a row that the offense isn't exactly there. Usually this is one of the highest scoring teams in the NHL, and usually the over is a pretty safe bet in a game with the Avalanche involved. But lately, the defensive structure has been having to shut down. With that, the offensive offense hasn't really been coming like we're used to, but hey, the, the victories are, and the goaltending has been keeping you in it. So as long as you're getting wins, everything's fine and dandy, and um, you know it doesn't really matter how it looks, but just fascinating to see how... We're not we're not seeing that many goals in Avalanche games lately. Well, look at look at the guys that are out. I mean, it's kind of hilarious. If you remember back during training camp, I asked Eric Johnson, like, you know, with the re-signing of Josh Manson, and now you're on the third pair with Sam Gerrard. Like that used to be the friggin' top pair when Matt Duchesne was traded to to, to Ottawa. It was Gerrard and Duch and uh, Johnson, and now they're your third pair. And I asked EJ, like. Can you say that this is now a defense first team given the way the defense is built? And he said, no, no, no. We're still a high scoring team. That's what we want to be. That's what we're considered. That's what we'll always be. But look at it. Val Nichushkin, seven goals in seven games, hasn't played the last nine. Gabe Landeskog, hey, th- speaking of what we were talking about earlier of players not giving a shit about their regular season numbers, can we talk about Gabe Landeskog again? 31 regular season goals in 50 games and then another 11 in 20 playoff games? Do the math. 41 Gabe Landis got goals in 71 games. Who the hell does this guy think he is? Like, he was on pace for over 50 in the regular season, let alone when you add what he did in the playoffs, 11 and 11 for 22 points in, in 20 games. Like, just insane numbers. Gabe Landis could have played 82 games last year and hit 50 goals. Nazem Kadri could have played 82 and hit 100 points. Again, they didn't fake injuries. 
but they didn't care. They weren't trying to rush back into the lineup to pad their stats. But how funny is it that now you look back to that Eric Johnson quote to get back on topic, and it's Val Nichushkin scored seven goals in seven games, hasn't been in since. Gabe Landeskog, an incredible goal scorer last year, the best on the team in terms of putting the puck in the net, hasn't played all season. Uh, Alex Newhook has not done anything remotely close to what you need out of a second-line center. You don't have Kadri, you don't have Burakovsky, and suddenly you are a defense-first team with a goalie you can trust with a 930 save percentage. I'm not I'm not one of those fancy stat guys. I'm I'm not one of those fancy stat nerdy weirdos right now. I kid, I kid. Um but you know, I, we we talk a lot about man games lost in a season, right? When there's guys down to injury. I'm really curious as to you know maybe expected goals lost. Um cuz yeah, you make a great point. Not only are these big names that they're missing out of the lineup, but they're huge contributors. So, of course, your offense is going to take a hit. Of course, you're going to see lower scoring games when uh, so much offense is taken out of your lineup. I'd love to see an actual stat. Maybe uh, one of our listeners can guide me, or Arif, perhaps you know what stat that is that I'm looking for, but it's a lot like main games lost, but as far as production. In in terms of goals expected. I don't know if that exists, and if it does, maybe I'm just not in tune with it, but think about it. Gabe Landeskog is somebody that if he plays an entire regular season, you can say confidently will give you 35 goals, and that might be shortchanging it given what he did last year. Let's say 40. 40 goals in 82 games. Val Nichushkin, given the way he started the season, is it crazy to think if he played all 23 games that he'll hit 30? I mean, he hit 7 and 7, so what does he need? 23 and 75 games? Shit, let's say 35. Because that'll mean 28 goals in 75 games the rest of the way. That's reasonable for Nachushkin. Well, there you have it. You got 30 goals, or sorry, 35 goals and 40 goals. That's 75 goals combined between the two over 162 games. So if you do the math, that's a goal almost every other game when you come, or sorry, 75 goals over 82 games because you don't combine the two. That's almost a goal a game you're missing. 75 goals out of 82 games. You're missing a goal almost every game out of these two guys. But then there's also the fact that you take into account that, like, if they were in the lineup, well, now Rodriguez isn't going to score as much as he does because he'll be playing fewer minutes, blah, blah, blah. So there's more to it. But it is something to, to, to really think about is how many goals are these guys missing because of these two? And that's why, like you said, the under is hitting because they just don't have that offensive firepower in the, in the lineup yeah. right now. All this math is giving me a headache, though. I wasn't, I wasn't following. I need, I need a drink. I was, I was listening. Look, like as he chugs through his Yeti, God knows what's in there. I, uh, I was listening to, you know, let's see how many Avalanche fans are out there. Steve Dangle podcast listeners. At the end of his episode, he was talking about some of their favorite moments. Which, by the way, JJ, you got to listen to it too. Uh, really great Greg Wyshynski story in there. Story in there. It was their favorite moments from hockey Twitter because it was kind of like a fake. Oh, Twitter's dying. Twitter's going away. Let's talk about our favorite hockey moments. And they were talking about how like some of the older journalists would attack like the uh, analytics community and like, oh, oh, what's an expected goal? Expected goal by who exactly? And then there was one that was uh, I forget which reporter it was. Because uh, they mentioned who it was, and it was, has a shot attempt ever really led to a goal? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's always hilarious to see the attack on on advanced stats. I use them for what they are. Use them, you know, take them for a grain of salt like everything else, you know, when it comes to stats. But 
that is an entertaining listen if you want to listen to that episode. Yeah, it's just funny that there's a contingency of hockey media that just wants to plug their ears and go, la, 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 that doesn't exist. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. But- How do you measure heart? <laughs> yeah. How do you measure the player's willingness to win in the playoffs? It's like, we know. Relax. We get it. I liked your I liked your little anecdote, but you ruined my bit about needing a drink. I was going to put that right into Total Beverage, Arif, oh, because everybody yeah. knows Total Beverage and <laughs> Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? I'm sure you did by now by listening to this podcast. And you also know that they have curbside pickup available. And you probably also know they do online wine education classes. So, of course, you got to get to know Total Beverage. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total beverage, everything you need, and more. Boom, you nailed it. Yeah, we didn't even plan that. You just picked up on it. Yeah, nice work, Adam. Two years. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as far as X's and O's, I think that's all I wanted to cover today. But um, we did see the post game in Washington, right? Darcy Kemper and Albe Kubel receiving their rings. We're going to go through this Man. every game until it's, until it's done. I honestly, I know it's been a while since the Berkey and the Kaji one. I fucking love those. Every, I know some people are like, oh, let's just put an end to 2022 and let's stop singing and all the small things and let's stop. No, man. It's cool that, like, look, think back to Tampa Bay. Just think back to our memories in Tampa Bay and how fucking cool it is to think back to that. I just want to go back. How fun was mid-June, mid to late June, June 15th to June 28th. How fun was mm-hmm. that? Think about it. June 20th, today's November 20th. June 20th, we were in Tampa Bay preparing for game three after the Avalanche's 7 and nothing victory. In fact, at this very moment on June 20th, five months ago, we were at the rink after the Avalanche lost game three, two nights before Nazem Kadri scored his overtime winner, scootering our way around town, crashing into Joe Sackick, who was laughing at us because we were a bunch of young <laughs> kids on scooters while he was running around Tampa getting a workout. Think of our memories, and we're just a couple of reporters that you know, barely did it. And now think of these players. Think about the fact that Nicholas Abe Kubel, since the Avalanche's Stanley Cup, became an unrestricted free agent because... The Avalanche didn't qualify him because they couldn't afford to give him a $1.25 million qualifying offer. He goes on to sign for $1 million with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's supposed to be this big depth forward, ends up falling his way down the lineup. He gets cut from that lineup. He gets put on waivers, claimed by the Washington Capitals, who are also reeling, not really winning a lot of games. And then they get shut out 4 nothing by the Avalanche. And then Darcy Kemper, who had some negotiations with the Avalanche, I believe we have video footage of that negotiations somewhere in the <laughs> Mile High Sports uh, Instagram account and on JJ's Twitter. Dramatic reenactment. Very dramatic reenactment there. It was, it was actually the real footage of what actually happened. And then Darcy Kemper, which, by the way, if you guys don't get the joke, tweet me and I'll send it to you. Um, Darcy Kemper signs with Washington after the Avalanche decide, you know what, we can't afford this guy. We don't want to give him the money in the years he wants. They go out and trade for Georgiev. He becomes a free agent, signs with Washington. They're kind of reeling. They're not winning a lot of games, not going to be in the playoffs. Just got shut out 4 nothing. giving up goals to Nathan McKinnon, Arturi uh, Lekkinen, Andrew Cogliano, and Kale McCarr, four of my teammates from a few months ago. But after the game, we can go down into this basement with our spouses by our sides, because I don't remember if they're married or if they're, they're, they, they have girlfriends, both Abi Kubel and Kemper. Um, I believe Darcy's married. I don't know about Nicholas. Regardless, with their spouses by their side after this game to open this thing, 
to reenact and relive that memory with these giant smiles on their face where every time I watch these videos, I'm like, I remember this and how fun it is. And then Abe Kubel drops the cup and dents it and everybody in the room's cracking up. Nathan McKinnon's in the back eating pizza after the game or God knows who it was, Cagliano. You know, he wasn't eating He pizza. wasn't the one eating the pizza. It was like Cagliano and all these other guys. Confer's stuffing his face saying hi. New Hook with his mustache laughing at him. If you haven't seen O'Connor the is the one shoving his face with pizza. Bingo, thank you. Wrong, wrong depth forward. <laughs> so <laughs> they're all sitting there having a good time thinking back to this memory like so much has changed since. But these are my brothers for life. These are the guys we won the Stanley Cup with. And it gives you those chills every single time. Because in that moment when I was watching that video, Darcy Kemper and Nicholas Abe-Kubel were still on the Avs. That's what it feels like whenever you see them. It's the same thing with Burakovsky. Granted, the Berkey one's a little different because he was walking around with the Seattle Kraken gear, fresh out of morning skate, the socks, the shorts, the hat. Nazem Kadri, same exact kind of feeling. You know, he's in Calgary. Yeah, it was the second game of the season. But for a moment while watching that video, it felt like he was still on the team. Because how often do you see that? You know what Biz Nasty calls tummy sticks? Tummy sticks in the locker room? Where the guy on the other team's in your locker room, talking to your players, hugging it out. Exchanging hugs. Exchanging hugs. Looking at this video, wearing that Stanley Cup ring, and the video always starts. I love I love that 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 ring case is so freaking cool where it opens it and it's Connor Connor McGahee going, They did it, they did it. My favorite part about that thing is like, and again, this isn't to like show off, but like whenever I hear Connor McGahee's voice saying that line that they did it, they did it. He was right in front of you and me in the press box. And I remember hearing it live and hearing Peter McNabb's laugh. You know, that joyful ha 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 that Peter McNabb used to have, like seeing that happen live. And now it's in this video ingrained ingrained forever that every time they open up this ring case, it's the coolest thing. I will never get sick of those videos. I cannot wait for Nico Sturms. I cannot wait for uh, who else are we missing at this point? I think that's it. Is it just Nico? Yeah, because we were going to have Obi Kubel with Toronto. That's right, yeah, because Obi Kubel and Kemper were supposed to be separate. So now it's just Mm -hmm. Nico Sturm. Goal scorer Nico Sturm, by the way, six goals or whatever he's on to. That guy's on a heater. He's got more goals than Nathan McKinnon. (laughs) You could see on their faces, too, just how much they miss being a part of this team, right? And and I'm sure, you know, you try to be professional. And and maybe less Darcy Kemper, but definitely Obi Kubel. You could just kind of see it in his eyes like, man, I wish I was still with you guys. Like, I love you guys. Be, just simply being around you for this five minutes is amazing. Um, but, yeah, I guess just side note, I remember Obey Kubel got engaged just this past offseason. Oh, so I doubt he's married yes, yet. that's right. That's but, right. again, just uh, more to the memories from the offseason, right? I shouldn't be mem- remembering that, but we were following these guys' journey and their trip through uh, celebrating the Stanley Cup. And, yeah, it just feels like uh, – there's they should be a part of this team i know it's just not the way things go and that's just the business of the game and yeah you know probably in six months we won't feel this way but still kind of fresh and you still miss these guys and just like man i know you wish you were on this team i mean i like the obey kubel I, I he's a guy i definitely wish was still here we we know kadri is a guy that's heavily missed um you know darcy kemper i could do with or without yeah, I mean, even we just went. Look, we just spent twenty minutes on how his replacement is amazing. <laughs> yeah. so not another okay Georgiev episode, you know. After we talked in the beginning about how it's not going to be about him, just another Georgiev episode here <laughs> at Hockey Mountain High. But hey, man, like 
the even the Kemper thing. Look, I know he wanted to be a starter somewhere, and you know, I I know he wanted to stay. Come on, the guy the guy would have preferred to stay with the Avalanche. But you know, business aside, making money aside, because if Abe Kubel had a choice of making, let's just pretend it was seven hundred and fifty k with the Avalanche or a million with the Maple Leafs. Yeah, I'd take the million. Why would I give up a couple hundred thousand for heartstring tugs and pulls? Fuck that. I got a wedding to pay for. I got a wedding to pay for, and I'm not <laughs> signing a seven-year deal like Nas to give up a few hundred thousand dollars a season. I'm signing a one-year deal. This might be my last contract in the NHL, especially given the fact that I was put on waivers a month into it. So you never know when his career is going to end. So, but yeah, like when you think about the business side, you can tell that, you know, you, you can understand why they moved on. Even Nico Sturm, three years, two million per year for Nico Sturm. Are you kidding me? That would never happen with the Avalanche. It happened in San Jose, but you better believe when Nico Sturm's in that lineup, in that locker room, I should say, getting his ring, it's going to feel the same way. And there is one other name. First of all, there's two names that I'm forgetting. The first one is opening night feels like such a long time ago because I just listed every example. I didn't list Jack Johnson being there for opening night, how freaking awesome that was. And the other name is, and I'm pretty sure he gets a ring despite not playing in the playoffs, but Ryan Murray with the Edmonton Oilers because he, he's got his name on the cup and you know what, man? There was a period during the regular season where before his injury, that very poorly timed injury, Ryan Murray was a top four defenseman on this lineup to the point where I even tweeted at the trade deadline after the trade, here's what a healthy avalanche lineup looks like. And I had Ryan Murray as the number six and Eric Johnson as a number seven and everybody let me have it. Understandably so. It's EJ. But Ryan Murray was that good. It wasn't an insult to EJ as it was about how good Murray was to this team and how good he is for Edmonton right now. So... That's another guy that's going to eventually have that. And when you see him, you're going to be like, I forgot about this guy. Because, hey, Andreas Engeland is cool and everything. I don't know anything about the guy. Haven't even talked to him in, in the locker room yet. I kind of breezed by him during his uh, his first game of the season, his debut. But, you know, it would be nice to have Ryan Murray and even Jack Johnson right now instead of Jacob McDonald and Engeland in the lineup. So those are guys you miss as well. And you know that when Murray gets his ring, I'm pretty sure he does get one because his name's on the cup that it's going to have that same feeling and Nico Stern for sure as well. I don't know. I, I feel like they're not going to have the same sure the same scene for it, right? They might not have the cameras. They're just going to throw him his box. And say, Here you go, kid. Thanks thanks for joining. We got to go. We got a fight to catch. <laughs> That's me. No, Ryan, Ryan Murray will get the respect. I mean, hey, Jack Johnson didn't play in the playoffs either. Do we ever talk about that? I mean, yeah. He. Oh, no, wait, shit. No, Jack Johnson yeah, did play in the playoffs. I'm an definitely idiot. Did. Sorry. I'm, I'm, my, my brain is fried right now. Um, it's getting late. Yeah. It's getting late. I forgot that. Gerard got injured. It's just you know, it's all right. I was having a great you're so, episode. You're so you're, you're so I was having such a good episode. I wish I wish the listeners could see how shameful Fuck. you feel right now. God you, damn you your head buried in your uh, hands. That <laughs> so but that's close. that's that's the unique part about winning a championship, right? I mean, the, the, they'll know each other forever. They'll there will be anniversary meetups. There will be more times where they get honored at Ball Arena or whatever future arena we have or whatever it is called in the future. That's just what happens when you, you win a championship together. It's people that you never lose touch with, people that you always consider brothers because you went to war and you won. So um, it, it, it stings while your career lasts, but it, it'll be brief. And once their career is over, they'll be bonded together because they all have their yeah. names on that same cup for the same year this yeah like it's it's always going to be a thing andrew cagliano is his 17th year in the nhl maybe it's his last maybe it's not maybe it's his last with the avalanche maybe it's not but that season will always matter to him jack johnson's one year in denver no matter how many years he played in pittsburgh or in columbus or in la or now he's in uh, chicago and wherever he gets traded at the deadline if it's not the avs again which i still think it probably will be like 
no matter where this guy has played and how many games he played for these other teams, that one year in Denver is going to stick out the most. Nico Sturm, if he never wins a cup again, it's that three months in Denver that's going to stick out. Darcy freaking Kemper, if he ends his career with the Capitals or elsewhere, it's that one year in Denver that's going to stick out. Darren Helm, how many years he played in Detroit. It's that one year in Denver and it's that one year in Detroit that are going to stick out. It's that Stanley Cup championship legitimately, and I never understood this until I actually got to witness it. Number one, as an adult, because when the Avalanche won Cups when I was a fan, I was a kid, especially in 01. I remember it so clearly, but I was six, seven years old. But this time, not just experiencing it as a fan, but being that reporter in the locker room, seeing these guys interact, watching those videos and seeing how Kemper and Abe Kubel were talking to each other, and just remembering these are the guys that were teammates for a year. There was a tweet today going around and I, I giggled at myself because it was a snapshot of like the video of Darcy Kemper and Obey Kubel watching their ring boxes, right? And then in the background you see a leg and somebody yeah. zoomed in on that and leg. And said who's cat who's quads are these? I felt so weird, but at the same time proud because I was like that looks like Andrew Cogliano. Did I leg. not mention last week that I want to hit legs with Cogliano? <laughs> yeah. For a reason, guys, you don't understand. If you ever sneak your way into the bottom basement level of Ball Arena 30 minutes before the players get on the ice for their pregame skate, Cogliano's wearing those seven inch shorts with the Avalanche logo on them, doing high knees up and down the hallway, throwing a tennis ball against the wall like he's a friggin' goalie or something. And you can't but help but be mesmerized by the size and the shape of this dude's quads. It's very Martin St. Louis-esque, that freaking picture online that's so famous because of Martin St. Louis and how great his quads were. Like, it's legitimately insane, the kind of quads that Cogliano has. Like, it's awesome. All right, Arif. I just want to know if he could squat 350. That's all <laughs> I, I just want to know if he does a rep. He, he reps it five, six times. Like, is it a one rep PR? Like, what does this guy do with 315 pounds? That's all I want to know. Is that too much to ask for? Oh, well, I guess this would be a good place to stop the podcast if we didn't have World Cup hockey to talk about. I didn't tell you we were going to do this, but I know you wanted us to do this. Soccer. I meant soccer. Thank you. Let's go. Soccer. We got to talk World Cup soccer. So, um, some people, if you want to turn off the podcast here, we won't be offended. We should have did it in the middle. I told you. We got to force people to talk about it. <laughs> But yeah, we had we had the the first game of the World Cup today. Mm-hmm. It was fun uh, just to see it get going, and uh, I'm still kind of I, uncomfortable with the thought of Qatar being in the World Cup. They looked pretty pretty bad, and uh, <laughs> they didn't really deserve to be on the field. It seemed team to me to lose the World Cup opener as the host. They've had ties, they've had victories in the past. This is the first one to lose. Um, look, they're going to be irrelevant. They're they're. They're the host nation, and that's why they're there. Remember when Italy hosted the Winter Olympics for hockey? Uh, they weren't very good. They were just the host. That's all Qatar is, or Qatar, whatever. It's hard to say it in English for me. But that's all they are, and that's all they ever will be. Um, but the real stuff starts tomorrow. We're going to have a lot of great games coming up. Uh, does the U.S. play Monday? Yep, noon against Wales, and that's really the big game for them, right? Because you got to assume they beat Iran. Uh, you got to assume they lose to England. Right. So hey, really, hey, hey, if, hey, if, if they, hey, hey, if they, that, that George W. If they beat 
Jo- if, no, jo- no, George, I, George, Iran does not have a soccer team. Get out! Time of out. Here. I'm not the saying United that. Let me let me finish. Beat Iran. This, this guy they will thinks, lose to England. Let me so finish. So it's up in the air against Wales, I'm and if they beat arguing. Wales, they are getting out of group. I'm not arguing them beating Iran. I'm sitting here trying to figure out why you're going George W. Bush on me with your Iran. Iran. Because I'm American. You're American. It's Iran. Iran and Iraq. It's not Iran, Iran, and, Iran Iraq. and Iraq. Iran, Iraq, <laughs> and, and, and Quebec. Yeah, so you know what? The USA has got a relatively easy group. A-Rifteen. <laughs> A-Rifteen. Uh, the U.S. has got a relatively easy group, um, but they also didn't look too good in their qualifying matches. Like, let's be honest. Hey, they qualified. That's that's more than we could say from four years ago. Okay, and, but uh, who looked better than? And I'm not I'm not tar- targeting this as like a fan versus fan thing, but they didn't look as good as Canada did in the qualifying matchups. I thought they looked just fine. They beat Mexico, and don't forget they're the youngest team in the World yeah. Cup. So not only is this a building block for the future, and don't forget the next World Cups in the U.S. So that's going to be a yeah, lot of fun. U.S. Canada Mexico. That's going to be so much fun in four years. But yeah, Wales is probably their biggest competition in that group. Iran is 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 interesting to me because that team, they seem to have one game per World Cup that they qualify in where they kind of figure things out and they get it together because they have a lot of chemistry. And it could be the U.S. game. Like, that's the thing about that game. But it starts with the first one. That's the important one. And it goes from there. Um, all I'm trying to do is talk about USA so that I can distract myself from the fact that Kareem Benzema is going to miss the entire World Cup. And France so, is toast. France is so deep. Get the hell out of my face. Even without They're toast on the baguette. Even, with, <laughs> even <laughs> without Paul Pogba. Even without N'Gole Kante. Love that guy. He's like five foot two and runs like 17 miles a freaking game. That guy's a beast. He's a behemoth. Uh, anything but a behemoth, I should say. And Kareem Benzema, man, like I that's such a soul crushing injury the day before the World Cup begins or two days before the World Cup begins. And it's a silly ass injury during training. The guy was at the height of his powers on top of the world, just won the Ballon d'Or and his fucking uh, the first time the World Cup's in the Middle East. And his name's Karim Benzema. He's of Algerian descent. I know it's not Qatar, but. I know that one meant a little bit more to him, and he's going to miss it. Hey, it makes Spain's path to the final that much easier, so I'm for it. Let's, let's see what see what we can do here. I remember uh, my second favorite World Cup year because, you know, in 98, I only watched the final. I was five years old, and I watched the final with my dad, and that's when I became a fan of France because I watched Zinedine Zidane do what he did against Brazil, and... Again, the Arab connection, loved Zaydan, became a diehard fan of his, eventually a diehard fan of Karim Benzema, and just kind of stuck with France since. But in 2006, my second favorite run, I'll never forget, France kind of weaseling their way through the group stage with two ties and a victory, and then beating Spain with a young Iker Casillas in goal. 3-1 to one in that first game. I remember Frank Ribery dipsy-doodled around him and literally ran the ball into the net from how much space he had because the goalie was behind him over there. That was probably one of my favorite games where I'm like, holy shit, this team can actually do something. And then they went on to beat Brazil, and then they beat Portugal, and suddenly they're in the final, and then Zaydan headbutts a guy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we'll see how Spain does, but... I'm feeling pretty good about France, even despite the injuries. Um, a part of me thinks France is going to do well again and maybe repeat, which has never happened in mine or yours lifetime. I believe since the 60s was the last time a team has re- a country has repeated as World Cup champs two World Cups in a row. 
but I also have this feeling because it happens every other tournament with France where it's going to be a total collapse. They're going to end up like revolting against their coach like they did with Raymond Dominic, and it's going to be this whole big-ass thing, and then Zaydan gets hired as coach, and they win the next one. Yeah, and I, I, Spain honestly has had a hard time scoring goals. I don't see that changing, especially with Asensio up front. So I, I my hopes aren't too high, but you know, you got to hope for the best going into it. And it's all fresh slate and brand new World Cup, so anything can happen. Yeah, I, I cannot stress enough how much I hate the fact that this fucking World Cup is in November. Should have been in June. Kind of crazy because it's usually what like June twenty to July twenty or June eleven to July eleven. That's in the heart of the Stanley Cup final. How hard would that have been? Mm-hmm. I mean, for the first half of it, because by the time, like, the Avalanche had their parade on June 30th, traded for Georgiev on June 7th or July 7th, the World Cup would have went until the 11th or the 20th of July. So it would have been a little bit different. But, yeah, this World Cup in November is kind of completely throwing me off. A lot of injuries in the World Cup, just like a lot of injuries with the Avalanche and, honestly, the rest of the NHL, to be honest. Yeah, it's such a bummer that Sadio Mane is going to miss because he's, he's the one and only mm-hmm. guy on that on that team that actually— Gave him any hope. <laughs> yeah, so bummer there, but I'm excited, man. Portugal looks good. Argentina looks legit. Brazil looks legit. Brazil has— England. Been, Don't England look past England. England looks legit. Uh, Spain is always in there. Germany kind of has fallen off, but you never know. Croatia, Netherlands, France is coming in as the defending champs. Like, there's it's it's usually the same teams. I believe only nine countries have won the World Cup in, in FIFA history, but uh, should be a fun one. I'm excited. Right on. Well, now is a good place to end the, to end the podcast. Thanks everybody for bearing with us. If you did, of course, definitely. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Eric, any closing closing thoughts before we get out? No, I'm actually curious of our listeners. Tweet us if you are soccer fans or not and who your team is. I'm, I really want to get a sense of how many of our listeners are, are World Cup people because this is a fun time of the year, honestly. Indeed. I mean, I'm going to have a hard time even paying attention to hockey. Good thing that the the, times, the time windows are so different. Yeah. It's going to be all oh, day. Real, Morning soccer, nighttime hockey. Real quick, this upcoming Saturday, big, big day for me. It's going to be brutal. It's the day the Avalanche plays at the Dallas Stars when they mm-hmm. when they uh, debut the reverse retro night. Yeah, the reverse yep. retro. They're going to debut that on Saturday, but earlier in the day. And I know you don't care about one of these, but France plays at noon. I want to say, and Michigan Ohio State at one p.m. And then we're at Ball Arena at seven p.m. for the Avs game. Just a lot going on that day, and it's like three different sports that are all polar opposites of each other. I have a different level of fandom and respect and love for each one. That when you mix them all together, it's kind of going to be like, you ever like mixed friend groups? Like one of your boys, that <laughs> like me with one of your beer league buddies that I've never met before. And you're like, this is kind of weird. That's I, my... I'd have to apologize to be like, oh, I know. It just, like, he just, he's cool he though. Yeah, Trust me. That, Trust exactly. Me. He's, that's, he's a cool guy. Literally, that's how I feel. <laughs> like I'm going to be watching the France game at noon and then Michigan, Ohio State, friggin' American football, not football, but American football at, an hour later where I'm going between these two games. Telling the six foot seven, three hundred pound linebacker on Michigan, like like Mbappe's cool. Just give him a chance. He's he's cool. <laughs> and then we get there, and I gotta explain to Nathan McKinnon how he shouldn't fight all these people because they're all nice people. Some of them are in Europe, some of them are in Michigan. Like, just give them a chance. They're all cool. They're all my friends. I'm just gonna be the glue. That like, it's such a weird day, but I'm so excited for it. What an exciting time! Yeah. So don't forget to check out Superbook Sports, right? And. Might as well check out Total Beverage while you're at it. But that'll do it for our Sunday edition of the podcast. Definitely have a nice Thanksgiving week, everybody. Um, We'll be back later this week before Thanksgiving. So 
Uh, you'll hear from us again, but of course, I feel like Thanksgiving is kind of a week-long <laughs> drum up. And Black you Friday sure is now. It used to be a one-day thing, and now the sales have already flooded my inbox. There you go. So, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll be back, and uh, I already blessed everybody's heart if they made it this far. Because I'll do they it definitely this time. If you it. made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone, guys. We out you. <laughs>